I want to thank the worship team for, uh, for that song. I, I really like that, that variation of Amazing Grace. It, I mean, that song has been transposed and, and changed in, uh, hundreds of times, different ways, and it's always such a good song. And I remember when I was a little kid, I went to church with my aunt, my Aunt Jenny, and I, was, I couldn't have been more than four years, four or five probably, and we were sitting there singing. We were singing Amazing Grace. And we got to that part about, you know, being a wretch. And I looked at my aunt and I said, Aunt Jenny, what's a wretch? Are, are you a wretch, Aunt Jenny? And she said, shut up and sing, boy. And so we, we kept going, so I'll never forget that. Wow. That's a wretch. Well, we were talking about the family, and today uh, I wanted to look at, oh, uh, one of the realities of the families today, uh, single motherhood, single fatherhood, uh, the life of the single parent, uh, the challenges that moms face are absolutely enormous. I, I can't imagine trying to go it alone to raise a family and to do that by myself. And that, you know, and there are a lot of myths about motherhood that you know people who have never been moms don't get. You know, people who have never had children or, or fellas sometimes we're you know we're not so with it. You know, in tune with our wives or our our own mothers, and, and there are just a few myths here that I want to start off just kind of read to you. Somebody said that a child is carried in its mother's womb for nine months. Somebody does not know that a child is carried in his mother's hearts forever. Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history. There is no such thing as normal. Somebody said you learn how to be a mother by instincts. Somebody never took a three-year-old shopping. I mean, Neil and I would go shopping, and our children would hide in the, the clothes racks, and they'd get lost in there, and you're like, where are they? And you hear, and look, look in there. There they are. Somebody said that being a mother is boring. Somebody never rode in a car driven by a teenager with a driver's permit. Somebody said good mothers never raise their voices. Somebody never came out the back door just in time to see her child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's kitchen window. Somebody said you don't need an education to be a mother. Somebody never helped a fourth grader with his math. Where do they get to college? You can't even, I can't even read the problem, let alone help solve it. I don't even know how to read the thing. Crazy. Somebody said you can't love the fifth child as much as you love the first. Somebody doesn't have five children. Somebody said a mother can find all the answers to her child-rearing questions in the books. Somebody never had a child stuff beans up her nose. <laughs> Somebody said the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. Somebody never watched her baby get on the bus for the first day of kindergarten. 
Somebody said a mother can stop worrying after her child gets married, but somebody doesn't know that marriage adds a new son or daughter-in-law to a mother's heartstrings. Somebody said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves the home. Somebody never had grandchildren. Somebody said your mother knows you love her, so you don't need to tell her. Somebody isn't a mother. So, you know, just some myths about motherhood. And, you know, there's something about moms and all of us, you know, think of our own mothers and, and uh, the challenges that our moms faced you know, raising children is, is, is incredible. And many of you are moms and you're raising your kids now or you've raised your kids and now you're helping with grandkids. And, but the challenges moms face are enormous. You think about trying to, go it alone, trying to go alone. There are over 12 million single parent families in this country. 12 million. 80% of those are women, single moms. One in four kids are raised without a father. That's about 17 million kids. Approximately 40% of single-parent families live in poverty. Single-parenting is hard. Over the past 20 years, single-parent families have become pretty common. Maybe in some places even more common than the so-called nuclear family, the, the kind of family that we talked about last week. You know, in a perfect world and, you know, with perfect people, we would have a father and a mother and they would be together and they would raise their children together, working together as a team. But today we see all kinds of single parent families headed by moms, headed by dads. We're seeing more and more uh, families headed by grandparents. We see more of this at school. Uh, we used to have of course, parent-teacher conferences are sort of a staple of the school experience. As a teacher, I'm seeing more and more grandparents coming because the parents of the child, are, they're not there. They don't have a mom and a dad. They've left them. They're in rehab. They're in jail. So here's grandma trying to raise these kids. God bless her. Life in a single-parent household can be pretty stressful, as you can imagine. Uh, if you've never lived, I was blessed. My parents uh, are still married. Somehow, by the grace of God, we're still married. We haven't killed each other yet. I think we plotted it before, but, but we're not, not, not there yet. Uh, but a lot of my friends, they grew up in single-parent families, and I know... It can be very stressful for the kids. It can, it's very stressful for the adults. A lot of times people put unrealistic expectations upon a family. Like, you know, I know you're a single parent, but you're supposed to function like a two-parent family anyways. That's hard. The single parent can be overwhelmed by the responsibility of trying to juggle caring for the kids, trying to maintain a job, trying to keep up with the bills, the household chores, trying to do all that by herself. That's extremely difficult. Typically, a family's finances and resources are drastically reduced following the breakup of a, a parenting situation, the breakup of a marriage. And we know statistically that women take the brunt of the punishment. 
financially, emotionally. About half of a, a single mom's income goes to child care. The other half goes to trying to put food on the table, trying to clothe them, let alone try to give the child you know, things that you know, other kids have and, and those types of pressures. But single-parent families deal with many pressures and potential problems that the nuclear family, that we don't have to face. So if you're a single parent here today, I want you to know that even though I'm lucky in, in my situation, I want, to, I want to help. I want to love you and that I, I'm trying to understand what it is to be a single parent. Because I know it's difficult. I've seen it within my own extended family. Think of the visitation and the custody problems that the nuclear family doesn't deal with. The effects of continuing conflict between the parents, using the children as pawns against each other. Less opportunity for parents and children to spend time together. It would kill me. This one kid that I have, you know, the only time he gets to see his dad is like every Thursday for like two hours. It would kill me. That's difficult. The effects of the breakup on uh, the kid's school performance, peer relations, disruptions of extended family relationships, the, the problems caused by a parent's dating, new relationships being formed. Uh, my nephew, growing up, had, uh, was raised by oh, his dad and then his mom and then the grandparents, and then occasionally with, with some other aunts and uncles. You just kind of, they kind of moved around. You can imagine being five or six years old trying to live in all of those situations. you got this family here. They've got their rules and things. and This family's got their rules and the way that they do things. And they're totally different over here. And this family, you can jump on the couch. Over here, you can't, can't do anything. What do you do? It's very, very difficult. I'm going to show you some stats about the single family, if you haven't thought about it recently. Um, let's go ahead to the next one here. There's only a few today, but of course, 83% of single parent families are, are mothers. This is the extent of the, the problem. 45% were never married. 23 and a half jobless the entire first year after the breakup. That means no income. Single moms make an average of $34,000 per year as opposed to a married couple, somewhere around 84. 36 and a half meet the standard of what being poor is. 51.9 at some time or another have met the standard of extreme poverty. That means you, less than $200 a week. That's for food, housing, everything. 34% have gone hungry. 45% have used food stamps. 16% had no health insurance. The Affordable Care Act provides insurance, but half the states refuse to expand Medicaid. Those of us uh, who sometimes give single families the business. We, oh, you just go down to the emergency room. They'll take care of you. You don't have to. That's very difficult for people. 
There's a pride factor there. God loves single parents. God loves you. He loves people who are struggling. He sees you, he hears you, and he knows what's going on. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis. We're going to look back to Genesis again here. And I want to tell you a story about a superwoman, Wonder Woman here. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into the theological parts of her story, but let's just simply read the story and learn about a woman by the name of Hagar. Genesis chapter 16. Let's go to the next slide, if you that way if you get lost there. Yeah, the story of Hagar and Ishmael here. Well, now, um, Sarai, it's not Sarah and Abraham yet, but it's Sarai and Abram. They hadn't, uh, God hadn't changed their name yet. But anyways, now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, you've got to understand, just before this, you know, God had, uh, you know, promised, you know, Abraham, you, look, you're going to have a kid, it's going to be your biological son through your wife, Sarai. Just trust me, and it's going to be a great kingdom, and it'll have no end, and on and on. The whole Abrahamic covenant that we talked about. But up until now, verse six, or chapter 16, no kids. No kids yet. So they're probably like, I'm not getting any younger here. I think Abram's about 84, 86 years old. Sarah's a little older than that, I think. I'll have to go back and look. But the point is, they're well past their prime for having children. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children through her. Okay, and Abram listened to the voice of, of Sarai. Now that was a, a custom of that time. No children, we can't have kids, okay, uh, we'll have a surrogate. That's not uncommon today, a surrogate mother. Now, the method might be a little different, but uh, you think of Abram here, you know, I want you to go in there and sleep with my mate. He's probably like, well, okay, <laughs> he goes off. So Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what you think is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from, the, from, uh, from her presence. What a messed up story, as some of my kids would say. That's messed up. You know, Sarah has to resort to the custom of using a surrogate to have a kid. That's despite the, the, the promise that God had made to them, you're going to have your own kid. So 
they take matters into their own hands. Abram sinfully yields to Sarai's scheme. The maiden gets pregnant. There's going to be a baby on the way. Sarai didn't anticipate the contemptuous disregard by Hagar. Hagar's pregnant now. You can imagine what she's thinking. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm her handmaiden, but I, I'm just doing what I think's right, and now I'm pregnant, and they're talking about my child being their baby. And it seemed like a good idea at the time, but I can feel this ba- baby. And I want this baby to... It's my baby. They gone, Sarai, you know, you put me in this weird position, and I don't know if I like this too much. You know? So there's, there's, there's tension brewing here. Sarah blames Abram for all of her trouble and demands judgment to rectify the relationship. Now, to be uh, fair to Sarai... If you go back through the beginning of Genesis, there were several episodes where, frankly, Abram did not treat her all that well. Uh, Throughout their relationship, there were times when Abram heard the word of the Lord and he began to travel and they would get into certain situations and they'd run up against the enemy and Abram would immediately think about himself. He'd, oh man, my wife is a knockout. She is beautiful. There are all these men out here. Boy, if they find out she's my wife, they'll kill me. And uh, I don't want that to happen. So what did he do? What did he tell all these people when they saw him? This is my sister. It's my sister here. You, you, you know, you take my sister. Just sort of like, okay, you know, you're, you're just her brother. What a rotten thing to do. Ladies, what if your husbands did that to you? You know. Uh, this is my sister. You know, what? <laughs> Holy smoke. So I, I would imagine throughout that relationship, there's always been this tension there anyways. And finally, Sarah's, uh, she's fed up with Abram. And she just kind of, like many times we do, we blame people for situations. And she blames Abram for all of her trouble. This is all your fault. It's interesting. Abram had an opportunity here to... Man up, as they say. Man up and lead the family. Sarah went to him and said, do something about this issue. Now, we might think the issue was ridiculous, but the point is, she asked him, do something. Fix the problem. And like many men do, they abdicated their authority and said, ah, blah, blah. Oh, don't get me in the middle of this. Uh, you, you go take care of that. There are many women who look to men for leadership, for help, for assistance. And too many times men look at them and go, uh, you can take care of that. I realize some women have strong personalities and they, they can be leaders and, and go, but sometimes you want your helpmate to help. Do something. Abram wouldn't do it. So they begin to mistreat Hagar. And I think this mistreatment was, uh, I don't think it was necessarily something physical. I don't think they were beating her or slapping her around or whatever. I looked up the, the Hebrew passage 
for this. She, so Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. That's in verse 6. It kind of implies mistreatment, neglect, saying bad things to her, uh, treating her wrongly, uh, you know, to the point where Hagar's like, I'm fed up with this. I can't deal with this anymore. You guys don't like me. You don't love me. I'm out of here. So she fled from their presence, took off. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord finds her out in the wilderness. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar. Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. I'm fed up with it. I'm out of there. I can't take it anymore. I'm out. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 9, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. If you obey the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Now, I don't think, again, the situation, I don't believe, was one of physical violence. God's not telling you through his angel, Hagar, go back and take a beating in the name of the Lord. He's not ordering her to return to a domestic violence situation. So if you're in a situation that includes violence, the Lord, I believe, does not want you to be trapped in a situation where you're being abused. I would run too. But there's a bigger plan at stake here. There's something going on here and God's involved and and he, he asks us many times to go and to do things that we don't want to do. And in this case, he's saying, look, Hagar, I, I know what's going on. But I want you to go back. I want you to go and submit to that relationship. And just watch what I do. Watch me work. Now, I personally would have said, you know what, angel? Nice seeing you. I'm out of here. Got on my donkey and rode away, you know. But Hagar goes on, and in fact, the angel uh, talks to her here in verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God Knows. He saw it. He knows you're being afflicted. Now your son, verse 12, he'll be a wild donkey of a man. Any of you ever raise hard or uh, strong-willed children? And think, you know, that's a wild donkey of a man. or She's a wild donkey of a girl, let me tell you. Ishmael was a handful. Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. He's going to be out of the way. But Hagar calls on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. You see. You know. 
You know what I'm going through. Thank God. Somebody knows. Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? My gosh, I've had an encounter with God. This is amazing. And he's not some fuzzy thing. He's alive. He's real. And he cares about me. And he knows what I've gone through. Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. What an amazing story. The angel of the Lord finding her out in the wilderness. And God, he, he sees her there. She's alone. She's afraid, unsure of what am I going to do? I've left my source of income. I've left everything I know, and I just had to get away. And now, what am I going to do? God saw it all. In verse 13, Hagar calls him the God who sees. Not only does God know what Hagar is doing, he sees her. And again, I looked up the Hebrew for the word sees, and that's at physical see, not like, oh, I know what's going on. No. He saw her like he was watching her life. He was there. He knew what was going on to Hagar. Like many women, what I find amazing about this story is that she's willing to go back. She obeyed God. And in doing so, she gave up her dreams, her desires... Her future, the things that she probably wanted out of life, I'm going to give it all up because I want to obey God so that we can raise this child. How many single moms give up their plans? They give up their futures. They give up their dreams to raise a child. God bless moms and dads who give up their dreams for their kids. I wish every kid could understand just how much it costs a parent emotionally, physically, spiritually to raise a kid. A lot of us, we give up our hopes and our dreams so that our kids can have a better life. That's not easy. Hagar was willing to do that. So she went back to that relationship, tried to make it work. The baby's born, and here we go. So Hagar ends up getting caught up in this mess. Hagar becomes the surrogate for Sarai. But that's not the end of the story, which I love about the Bible. They don't just kind of leave you hanging there. What happened? Well, the story goes on. Open up your Bibles to, uh, or to 21, Genesis 21. Now remember, God promised Hagar, I, I see you. I hear what's going on. I know, I know your situation. You're not alone. Genesis 21, verse 8 through 21. Whoops, help me if I got in the right place. Okay, so... Sure enough, Sarah and uh, Abram ended up, she conceived. They're going to have their own baby. Just like God promised, 
God's like, if you'd have just waited, you know, this whole mess wouldn't have happened. But, you know, I had a plan, and I used crack pottery to, to make, you know, make things work here. So. But sure enough, Sarah, Sarah and Abraham, they end up, they have a, a baby. And it's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing, the birth of Isaac. Whoops. And uh, they, they, uh, at the time that they're weaned, they have, hold this celebration. Now, there's some debate about how old the kid probably was. Some people say, you know, three or four. Others say, no, he's probably in his teens, you know, a little bit later, uh, had now moved on to, you know, you know, being an adult. I personally think, you know, Isaac's a, just a baby, just a little kid here. Ishmael would be a little bit older, uh, maybe, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, and... Uh, so they're going to have a big celebration for, for Isaac, sort of his coming out party here. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Okay, party time. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, that's Ishmael, uh, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. He was making fun of his little brother. Look at this little runt. I mean, little kids tease each other, you know. This little guy, I'm mean, having a party for him. I don't think I remember having a big party for me. <laughs> Look at, you know, we're going to raise this squirt. He's he's going to be the he's the promised one, you know. And of course, uh, as any mother would do, that uh, that upsets her. You don't make fun of my kid. <laughs> you, whew, you want to see the mama bear come out? You know, make fun of somebody's kids, and they hear about it. Look out. Therefore she said to Abraham, verse 10, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Isaac loves Ishmael. Sarah, not so much. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. Not through Ishmael, who I love Ishmael too. You love Ishmael. But my promise will come through Isaac. Now God, he's got a plan for Ishmael. He loves Ishmael. He loves Hagar. He's got a plan for them. So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now she's a single mom. Out, gone. There's no going back now. At the celebration, Sarai witnessed Ishmael making fun of, of the infant. Now Hagar's on the run. Again, God's going to show up and remind Hagar, I see you, I hear you, I know what you're going through, and I want to bless you. Kind of a uh, really scary situation, verse 15. When the water in the skin was used up, Abram, at least he was nice enough to give him some water, you know, when they left. Oh, here you go. Good luck. When the water was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. 
Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away and said, don't let me see the boy die. I mean, they're on bad, it's a bad situation. The kid's about to die. And she lifted up her voice and wept. Single parents often are in situations where all you want to do is just weep. I talked to you know, one of my sisters about it. She was a single parent for some time, and so there are times you just, you just cry. You just want to cry. Verse 17, God heard the lad crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said, What's the matter with you? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God saw her. He saw the situation she was in. He blessed her faithfulness. Ishmael grew up in the wilderness. He became a great archer. And he, he lived in the, the wilderness of parent, but his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. They went on and, and, and they had a future. And it's through Ishmael that other groups are created throughout the, the Middle Eastern region. Some people call him the forefather of, of uh, the Arabs. Okay, let's not make any Muslim jokes. God loves Muslims too. He loved Ishmael, and he blessed him, and he blessed Hagar for her faithfulness. Single mothers... You know, the families were designed to operate a certain way by God. You look at the Holy Family. God could have, you know, could have emphasized the story of Joseph. Ah, Joseph, the man, it's your son will be the savior of the world. And we'll hear about Joseph and that pesky Mary. Well, she just, she's just a woman. Put her over there. No, it's, it's through Mary that, that we, we, we hear the story of, of the coming of the Son of God. Mothers have a special place in the heart of God. But single mothers, as much as they, you know, we tell them, you're single. Mother, single mothers aren't single, completely and utterly committed to raising your children for the next two decades of your life. You're not single. Single means you're out for yourself. Again, God bless the women who put aside their life to give their son or their daughter a future. When one parent goes missing, the functioning of the family is retarded. The family can sort of spiral downwards like a plane. Planes are designed to fly with two wings. Families are designed to have two wings. If one wing comes off, I'm sorry, the plane's going down. That's difficult. It echoes loudly in the heart of every single parent. Single mothers are trying to literally walk on water. Try to function in a situation in which even when she gives 100% of her best efforts, that's still only 50% of what, what's needed. It's difficult physically, emotionally. It's difficult spiritually. It's hard to go it alone. Like Hagar 
God wants to bless you. I told you the story of my, uh, my cousin Lori a few weeks ago. She had like I think five or six kids through six or seven different husbands. I lost track after a while. She raised them as a single mom. They couldn't stay married. Dysfunctional as all get out. Single moms are trying to walk on water. I remember Lori telling my mom, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. My mom could have judged her. Oh, yeah, well, look at here. You got what you had coming to you. She says, I'm drowning. I'm trying to raise these kids. I can't. Single mothers are like a sheep among wolves. Many moms are not used to asking for help or reaching out for what they need. We live in a society where we're programmed to be self-reliant. I can do it myself. I'm supposed to do it myself. Often people will come along to single mothers and they will try to attach themselves into their life and they become a drain upon them. I know uh, a few men who uh, they tried to date a single mom and they're like, she, she's just not interested. And I said, it's not that she's not interested. She doesn't have the emotional strength or time to invest in any other kind of relationship. She's drowning. Even if they had the time or the money, many single moms, frankly, the courtship process, it's too draining. That leads us to the last point that I want to make today, the responsibility of the church, of our church. North Hills Church of God has always supported single-parent families, to my knowledge. I've never known of any time that when we've turned single people away, many of you, out of your own pockets, have supported single-parent families. That's something we need to continue to do. Single moms are superheroes. They're performing double duty. A duty that's shirked by the father of their kids. For many years, I, I stopped going to church. My wife had to do all the heavy lifting of getting the kids to church, of seeing that they had spiritual values. That's not fair. The church needs to step in in those situations and help. Help see to the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs of not only the, the women and, or single men, but of the children. It's hard work. So what do single moms need? I've never been a single parent. i got some ideas. But I don't know what a single mom needs. I know our church would love to help. But we need to know what is it that you need? What is it that your friends need? Or your relatives? Or whatever situation that you're going to, you find yourself, what do they need? How can we help? We can only give people so many boxes of macaroni and say, go and be blessed. They might need diapers. They might need a bill paid. I think about the, the warning in James chapter 2, verse 16. We're basically, 
you know, just to paraphrase it, the idea is, you know, don't say to people, look, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, be blessed. But if you don't do anything about meeting their physical needs, what good is it? God calls that faith invalid. So how can we help them? We know we have single-parent families who would love to bring their kids to church. Those of you, you're all, hopefully all of you have been blessed with, with being a parent. You know what it's like trying to get the kids to church. Try doing that as a single parent. It's like herding cats. <laughs> you're pushing here, you're over here, and kids get to the car, and you know, what a mess. How can we get them here? What are things that they need? Do you need a car seat? Do you need food? Do you need clothes? Do you just need time by yourself? I talked to a single mom and she said, you know what I really want the most? I just want 10 minutes to myself. Just an evening out, just to would be so refreshing, would be so amazing. What a need that it's the, the church could easily fill. In fact, we've done that before. I think the kids have you talked about, you know, we'll watch your kid, we'll, you know, we'll do things. We just need to take that extra step and make it a priority to make it happen. God loves single parents. He loves single moms. You're a wonder woman. God sees you. He hears you. He knows what you're going through. And through the body of Christ, he wants to bless you. He wants to provide, to give you that future and a hope that so many women give up when they become a single parent. Here at North Hills, of course, we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. We want single moms to be in a relationship with Christ. And single moms, we want you to know that we love you. We see what you're going through. We know what you're going through. And God bless you for what you went through to give your son, your daughter, that future and the hope that God has promised to each of us. I love you guys. What a wonderful Thing that our God loves us, and he sees, and he knows, and he hears. The worship team would come up. We'll, we'll finish up this morning. We'll worship together, and I'm going to be after some of you to help me get some ideas. To We want to help single moms. We want to support our families. We want to love our families here at church. We don't want to just show up and sing. We actually want this place to be a place where you can go and find that future and a hope.